I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Welcome to Self Helpful. I'm your guide, Kevin Miller, and I curate the sea of new personal development messages to bring the most influential leaders onto this show. Join me as I question my guests to better understand their counsel so we can all integrate the wisdom into our lives because we all want to elevate our own experience and improve the way we show up for others. The Self-Helpful Podcast is presented by Ziggler, your premier source for equipping coaches. Visit Ziggler.com. Hello, Self-Helpful listeners. In this episode, focus like a monk even when you're an entrepreneur, parent, and spouse. So we all know we're in an age of distraction. It feels like we all have ADHD. We are all consumed with multitasking and dealing with what is urgent, and we can't ever get any of the big, important things done. Meanwhile, we all follow and applaud the people who can manage the focus and achieve great things. And we think focus comes from, you know, gritting our teeth and making ourselves and we're missing the concept. So my guest today, an expert on this topic is Don Dapani. Don Dapani grew up in his family home. He went to school, actually graduated from university with a degree in electrical engineering. He left it all behind to become an ordained Hindu monk under the guidance of one of Hinduism's foremost spiritual leaders of our time. And for 10 years, he lived a life of serious personal discipline and training at his guru's cloistered monastery in Hawaii. Here, he learned to control his mind. He learned to focus. And he believes this is the key to finding one's purpose. As you may think, yeah, hey, it's not hard to focus when you live in a monastery in Hawaii. Dandapani actually agrees. Yet he believed the teachings would work in the outside world as well. And now he's proved it. He left the monastery, moved to New York, where he started a business. He got married. He became a father. Today, he is a highly sought after international speaker and leading expert on leveraging the human mind and the power of focus to create a life of purpose and joy. He's got a TEDx talk that has over 6.2 million views. He's got other videos. If you look on YouTube with tens of millions of views, he sat down with me from his now 33-acre spiritual sanctuary and garden he's building in Costa Rica with his wife to discuss the message in his book, The Power of Unwavering Focus. And one concept from his message, just one concept alone, has just changed my perspective on focus, and that's of the mind being this vast space 
like a house with many different areas. And our awareness is this glowing orb of light. It's our focus and it can only light up one room at a time. So you're about to hear about that concept. It's again, profound and of course, a lot more. You can now watch this episode. This is a fun one to watch live on YouTube and see Don Dapani in action as well. Just search for self-helpful with Kevin Miller. Don Dapani, I'm going to start with, it's actually page 46 of your book, Lesson 2.5. And it says, it is paramount that you define your intention for buying this book. I love that. My book is coming out shortly. You can see it right here over my shoulder. It comes out and uh, I, I wish I had that in there, but I'll be using that. And it gives me a great place to start off with this show for myself and for everyone listening to why would they listen to an episode on focus? And I thought about it for myself. And, and as I read the book and studied through, I want understanding of, and therefore control of my mind and specifically my emotions and feelings. And I really came into, I want grace for them and control mm-hmm. over them as well. Because in looking at this, I found myself easily able to fall into feeling frustrated that I would get into one of those areas of awareness. And mm-hmm. I would hear you saying, we probably need to have grace for those, even as we try to control them. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, a couple of things. I, I, I think it's paramount. Uh, we figure out why we want to learn to focus. And if we don't define that intention clearly, uh, then you're never going to do it. And most people probably will pick up the book because they're feeling like they're all over the place or life's a little chaotic and they just need a little more focus. But that's not enough of an intent to actually learn, understand, and then create a consistent practice so it becomes a part of your life. You you really have to make the case for yourself, as I say in chapters one and two. You you really have to sell it to yourself. You know, and, and once you buy in, then focus becomes part of your life. And you know, I give a few reasons. And for me, the biggest reason to lead a focused life is that is is death. We have one life and we don't get a second shot at it. And our time is not short, but it's finite on this planet. The question is, how do I want to use my time? So if if I have two hours with my daughter, where I'm physically with her, I can be focused and engaged and experience her. Or I can be physically present, but mentally absent. And I can go through life being physically present with family, with friends, with work, with clients, with holidays but mentally absent the entire time, yeah, which is the case of most people. And then you go through life never feeling fulfilled and not living a rewarding, fulfilling life. For me, that's one of the greatest impetus for, for leading a focused life is that I have one life. I want it to be amazing. So if I'm making a choice to be here with you, then I'm 100% here with you. And I'm engaging with you. I'm feeling you. I'm hearing you, I'm speaking with you, I get the most out of that experience. And I go through my whole day that way. And, you know, by the end of my life, I look back and go like, holy crap, that was a full life, which is great, which is what I want. Yeah. You, I think it was the latter part of the book and you talked about a movie, you used James Bond as an example, which I appreciate. I'm a fan. Yeah, (laughs) so am I. It really showed me 
showcase such a great dichotomy. Actually, I think it was your TED talk and you, mm -hmm. and you mentioned something about as a kid, you're told, Hey, focus, you know, and I, mm -hmm. I remember hearing that Kevin, would you just, you know, just focus, focus on the lesson, mm -hmm. focus on whatever. And as you said, yet we never are taught. We're told to focus. We're not taught how to focus. And yet today to come into the movie scenario, like you utilize, we have a gigantic industry. Most everyone is carrying a device in their pocket, mm -hmm. or as we were talking before the show, wearing one on their wrist that mm -hmm. is bent on getting our focus. Mm -hmm. And we are often generally in tune to that. And life is like that. It, it's like that movie that is taking our focus, taking our awareness yeah. everywhere. And you've got me again. You, you, I mean, that was the point of the book. You've got me realizing that how often I let the environment, I let the circumstances take my focus as opposed to intentionally centering myself. I th actually, it was your example of a dog that really got my attention. I, I spent a lot of time on trails, riding and running and people with, most people have untrained dogs that are pulling them all over the place. <laughs> Good reading. <laughs> every once in a while, every once yeah. in a while, I'll come along and somebody will stop on the side of the trail. They'll step aside and their dog will step and sit right at them at heel. I guess they would say, yeah, that's what I envisioned you calling us to with our minds. Is that fair? With our awareness. Correct. With yeah. our awareness. In the case of the movie, you pay to have your awareness taken to a particular area of the mind. So for right. a Bond movie, it may be adventurous, spy, exciting area of the mind. If you want to be terrified, you might go watch Poltergeist or, or whatever it is, All go right. to a different area of the mind. But what people don't realize, you know, is that your whole day, your environment, which I define as the people and things around you, are constantly pulling your awareness to different areas of the mind. And whichever area of the mind you allow it to take your awareness to, that's the area of the mind you will experience. So if someone comes up to you and they're really angry and you let them take your awareness to the same area of the mind they're functioning in, then you've experienced anger. You see a picture of a politician you don't like, awareness goes to a frustrated area of the mind. You, you see someone you love, awareness goes to a happy area of the mind. But you essentially become a slave to everyone and everything around you. Same like the dog, you know, the untrained dog, it's running everywhere and it's pulling the owner left, right, and center. Whereas a trained dog is by the side of its owner, walking alongside the owner. The owner stops, the dog stops. You know, the owner turns, the dog turns. We should be in control of our awareness the same way because then we're in control of what we're emotionally experiencing, what we're experiencing in our mind, what we want to engage with and what we don't want to engage with in the outside world. We intentionally choose from a moment-to-moment -moment basis our experiences. And even if we can't control the external experience, we can control how we react to it by choosing where we place awareness in the mind. Oh, and we're going to come into that top, that aspect of this a lot. I do want to hit where you start off with the book again on what is the, what is the reason for focus? Because yeah. we don't wake up in the morning and go, man, I hope I have a really focused day. What we want, of course, is the result of that. And I was really interested that you brought us to purpose, that we all want purpose. We want to have that 
great cause or direction or that thing that we devote ourselves to that matters to us and matters to the world. And you're saying that it is through the control of the mind. And I don't think that feels counter intuitive to our culture where we, as you talked about, we look at things for things externally, we're going to go find our purpose mm -hmm. externally. And you're saying, no, it's internally. And if you don't have control of your mind, you're not going to find that purpose. That's going to stop a lot of people. I want them to hear that right now, as we're talking that if you're looking for your purpose, desiring that purpose, you want that cause to devote yourself to, like we all watch the movies with somebody mm -hmm. who has a dramatic cause that they're invested in. We want that. And you're saying, you're not going to go out there and just stumble on it, find it, or even find a five-step process to where it is out there. You're saying, if we don't, if you don't have control of your mind, you're probably not going to find your purpose. That's that's not the norm that we don't hear. I haven't heard that message in that way before. Yeah. And, and the reason being is that if I can't control my awareness, where my awareness goes in my mind, how can I stay in a state of self-reflection long enough to get to know me? Yeah. And if I don't get to know me, how will I know what I want? If I wanted to get to know you, Kevin, I could stalk you online or we could say every Friday, let's get together for a cup of tea, a glass of wine. We'll spend two hours together every Friday. After a year, you would know me really well. I would know you really well because we are spending time engaging with each other, giving each other undivided attention, asking questions. But we never we do that with people. We never do it with ourselves. So after a while, I would know what inspires you, what you want in life, and things like that because I'm asking you those questions. But if I don't do that with myself, how would I know what I want? If I don't know what I want, how would I know what I love, what I, what my purpose is, what my passion is, what drives me, I don't. But I need to be able to be in a state of self-reflection long enough because this is how most people would be. You'd sit down, okay, I'm going to spend 10 minutes reflecting on my life. Dandapani, what is it you want in life? I wonder, it's, it's almost lunchtime. Huh? I wonder what should I have for lunch. Should I have leftovers from last night? I don't, I don't like last night's food. Maybe I'll make something. Maybe I'll just order something. Sorry, that's right. I was reflecting on my life. Yes. Yeah. What is it that I want? Well, the phone's ringing. Should I answer that? I'll go to voicemail. They'll leave. What did they don't leave a message? Oh, I'll probably call ID. It's okay. Oh, anyway, I was reflecting on my life. So if you're going through that on a minute by minute basis, how would I even get to know me? And if I don't get to know me, I don't know what I want. If I don't know what I want, I'll never know my purpose. And, and the other point you made is that the culture we live in is that we encourage our youth, our children, to go out there and discover and find their purpose. And this is the absolute worst advice you can give children, or anyone, in fact. And, and, and the reason why I say this is, look at your subconscious, your storehouse of memory and information as a room. So imagine if I'm building a house, I'm creating a room which I want it to be a library. I say to myself, every day I'm going to put 20 books in the library, but I'm not going to index them and I'm not going to categorize them. After a year, I'll have about 700 plus books, right, in, in my library. Will I be able to find any book? No, because I haven't organized it and categorized it. The same way we tell kids to go out there, have as many experiences as possible, you know, the world's your oyster, go out there, experience things, do things, travel, see the world. We are inundating our minds so, with so much information that information goes inside of us. We don't process it. We don't form conclusions. We don't organize information. No, we can't even make a decision. You ask somebody a simple question. What do you want to study? I don't know. 
What do you love? I'm not quite sure. What do you want to do in life? I don't know. What's your purpose in life? I have no idea. How would you find any information when your subconscious is so cluttered? Because we tell people to go out there, get as many experiences as possible, because that will help you understand what it is you want in life. It's it's the complete opposite. You, on this topic, so we're talking about growing ourselves, becoming aware of ourselves. Yeah. I want you to share, because I so appreciated it, yeah. it was early on, in your beginning time in the monastery and you said and you write this in the book that you struggled with this pursuit of self-realization and understanding and awareness of feeling selfish and you were given an analogy using a tissue uh, yeah. and well you know what you share that you'll do a better job than i i, I will yeah so it was you know i lived as a celibate hindu monk in a traditional cloistered monastery and uh, which means you you don't have contact with the outside world, with your family, relatives, friends, and so. And after a few months of living there, I felt that I was being selfish and not being with my family and friends that I could you know help or support and work with. And I went to my guru one day and I said, you know, I feel like I'm being selfish, focused on myself. So he pulled out a a, a piece of tissue from a Kleenex box and put it on the table, and he said, you know, you're in the middle, your mom's in one corner, your dad's in one corner. And you and your brother, your brother, your older brother's in one corner, your younger brother's in one corner. And then he went, he proceeded to lift the middle up. As he lifted the middle of the tissue up, all four sides got lifted up as well. And, and what he said to me then is that as you work to uplift yourself, you uplift everyone else that's tied to you energetically around you, your, your circle of people around you, your friends, family. Even even the man in the store that might be saying selling you a bottle of milk because you're an uplifting human being. So working on yourself, you know, getting clarity on what your life is about, your purpose, why you're here, harnessing your mind to be able to be focused is all positive. It's not selfish because as you do that, you impact everyone else around you as well in a very positive way. And he used that analogy of the tissue to, you know, to solidify his argument on that to me. Well, I greatly appreciated that. This is the self-helpful yeah. show. And I know a lot of well-meaning people, I think a majority mm -hmm. of them who are desiring to serve others, desiring to impact this world for the better. And, and I'll have to admit in my own upbringing in a, a religious culture, it was all about pouring out. You just go and you serve and you volunteer yeah. and you pour out and not much, if any focus on filling and building yourself. And that in some degree got a negative connotation. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you're taking that time to focus on yourself and you could be giving to others and why I wanted you to share that. Cause yeah, you went away, removed yourself yeah. from every, well, from all those you had previously known for, yeah. A decade, correct? For a decade, yeah. Mm -hmm. For a decade. Mm -hmm. Yet then you came back and your quote in the book was, the work I do to be a better version of myself not only impacts my life, but all those around me. So for you to take a decade, if somebody were to take an hour a week, a week a month, uh, mm -hmm. a day a month even, a week a year or what, it's so small in comparison, but to, I feel you calling us to the time we put into that is an investment 
with, well, it's an incredible return on investment. And I want to, I want people to hear that and have permission. And you also say in the book, as a part of this, Donna Pani, that you said the amazing life I want to live is for me, but the context that you wrote that in is for me, meaning it's measured by me. It's not to be lived just for my own selfish purposes, yeah. but it's measured by me. So I'm taking time to know me. It's my, the quality is measured by me, but that is what lifts humanity in essence. Yes, it is. And, and it's not measured by anybody else and anybody else's standards, right? I, I set the standard for myself and, and the quality of life that I want to live. But going back to your point about the, the religious concept of you know going out there and helping others mm. it's so much easier to tell someone what they need to do to live a better life than it is for you to do the work right you can go out there and preach all day and tell someone you know i mean how many life coaches are out there today yeah every 21 year old and the dog is a life coach you know but can you actually live a life where you are constantly working on yourself and i have so much work to do on myself. I, I could sit here for the next three weeks and tell you all my issues and things that I need to adjust with in my life to to be the next better version of me. It's 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 endless. But uh so for me, my my focus is on me. And and I don't really work to try and change anybody else. Obviously, if somebody wants to learn from me, I'm happy to share with them tools and empower them with the tools, show them how to apply it in their life. One of the beautiful things my my guru taught the monks was that, you know, he said, learn to lean on your own spine. He placed that burden of responsibility on us. And he said, don't lean on me because one day I'll be gone. And if you were leaning on me, you'd fall over. And to me, that was one of his greatest gifts to me because he taught, he, he, he gave me tools. He helped me identify what it is I want out of life, the, the path to that goal the tools and practices I needed to stay on the path to get to the goal. And now it was my work, my time, my turn to do all the work. He wasn't going to do it for me. I had to do the hard work. But defining the goal is clear, is, is critical, because the goal defines the path. The path defines the practices and the guidelines we live by. And what happens in today's world, Kevin, is that a lot of people just grab a practice. You know, he's doing meditation. I should do meditation too. Right. Uh, you know, he's doing breathing exercise. I should do breathing exercise. And they're doing like soul cycle. I should do soul cycle. No, you define the goal, the path to the goal, and then ask yourself, what practice will help me stay on the path to get to the goal? Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, 
but getting them to actually give their payment info is. And Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. And then the burden of responsibility is for you to do the work on yourself. And as you do the work on yourself and implement those practices, you start to impact everyone else around you as well. So in this, you hit on so many people who have this interest or initial desire in having a focused life so that they mm-hmm. can achieve X, Y, Z, these things that they want. Mm-hmm. And that you find all of us to some degree at some point that we want these things, but we don't find ourselves progressing towards those that we do not in essence want it enough. And I'll pose the question to you because it's one that I ponder some too. I get that. I mean, I grew up in sports, you know, and the coach yelling, you got to want it more. And I usually did not find that helping a whole lot. What I find now or what I see now or what I consider and ponder and grapple with is do we, do we need to want it more that knowing that end goal, or is it for a lot, is it mainly a lack of clarity that we're still, we think we know what we want, but we may not be really clear on that or really in agreement with it if we look yeah. at it closely because it may be a cultural or an expectation from somewhere else so that if we're not doing that do we need to want it more or do we need to we need more clarity i think both i think you need clarity of what it is you're pursuing and then the desire for it, it it's interesting you bring this up because i quote napoleon hill who wrote the think and grow rich sure, and, I he, saw that. and he talks about those two things you actually Clarity. called him a mystic was the first time I've ca- I heard him called a mystic, but I, I, I get that. I get that. He, he really is. I, I don't think at his time in the human timeline, if, if you, he called himself a mystic, uh, he probably would have been taken out in the street and beaten to death or something. Probably. You know? yeah. 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 But if you read what he wrote, it was extremely mystical. He was someone who, you know, was deep, deeply spiritual in my mind. 
from his profound understanding of how how things worked. But um, but he also says clarity of what it is you want. First step: What do you want, and then how badly do you want it? And at the end of the day, most people don't desire things badly enough, and that's why they don't get it. I remember meeting my guru when I was very young, and I told him that I wanted self-realization in my life, or enlightenment is another way you could say it. He asked me, what are you willing to do for it? And I said, I'm willing to give up my life for it. And I did. I, When all my friends were graduating from university, college, they were getting jobs and buying car and moving to their own apartments and traveling and dating going out having what looked like an awesome time right. <laughs> i packed it all up and i said i'm gonna go live in a monastery because this is what i want i never talked to any of my friends again you know relatives nothing i didn't eat a bar of chocolate go to the beach have coffee the go to movies nothing i wanted it badly enough and one of my friends is an Olympic gold medalist. Her name's Natalie Cook. She she won the gold medal in beach volleyball for Australia. And um, she tells me this this fun story uh, when she was growing up and she found a coach. And the coach asked her once, how badly do you want it? And, and I think she was like 14 or 15. I, I could be wrong with the timeline. And she says, oh, I really want it. And then he kept asking her, how badly do you want it? She says, oh, I really, really want it. But how badly do you want it? So he kept asking her this for like 10 minutes. And finally, she picked up a bag of volleyballs and hit him with it and ran off. After screaming, you know, God damn it, I really want it. And that's when he started to work with her. And, you know, she she won the gold medal. But it is that desire, ultimately, how badly do you want it? And people people don't want things badly enough. And that's why they never get it. Well, so that feels, yeah, step one is defining what we want. And then we come into how do we get that? And your focus on the mind, I mean, again, this is the self-helpful show. I have some of the world's you know, best therapists and counselors and researchers, psychologists and, and teachers on here. And yet you've got me thinking differently again about the mind, about it, um, well, here, you say this in the book. I pulled out a quote. The mind is a tool that we use to design and manifest our known reality every day of our lives. We think the environment and circumstances dictate our reality. I want to hit on that because it's a theme that keeps running through the shows because it's of my interest and it comes and yeah. it comes up more and more that, I mean, we do, we wake up and there is an objective reality which I was struggling with for a while, but I mean, there are objective realities. There are uh-huh. things, I mean, this is, I mean, we can get, you know, really deep, yeah, but no. for the most part, we're going to say this is a cup. And yeah. if I throw it against the screen in front of me, it's going to crash and an objective reality is going to happen. But then we have the ability, is this how you would say it? Cause this is what I've been playing with. We have the ability to interpret in essence that, and you're saying that to move our awareness uh, to where we want it to be. Do I want to take it? We could go as simple as negative, positive, Mm -hmm. but we then do have the ability to interpret all these objective realities. So to start there, give me your thoughts on that. Where your awareness is in your mind is the perspective you have 
at that very moment. So, for example, you come up to me and you say, Dandapani, the shawl you're wearing is ugly. My awareness goes to the anger area of the mind. I see that experience from a place of anger. I reach out and I pinch you for saying that. My awareness goes to a place that's positive, just keeping it really simple. I see that experience as being positive and I go like, wow, I never realized that, Kevin. Thank you so much. What a great opportunity to go shopping. I should really go shop shopping for a new shawl. So there is the objective reality. The, the reality is that you did say to me, my shawl is ugly. How I react and respond is based on where my ball of light is in my mind. And I can choose to move it to any area of the mind. And wherever it goes, that's the perspective I have. If I'm at the bottom of a mountain, I see things a certain way. If I climb to the top of the mountain, I see things very differently. Right. I lived in New York City for 11 years. You stand at rush hour you know, on Fifth Avenue. It's, it's packed with cars. It's not fun. There's honking and people walking, crowded. You stand on top of the Empire State Building and you look down at Manhattan and it's a beautiful experience. And you think, wow, this is really amazing. You fly in a plane alongside Manhattan, which I've done many times. Planes come into LaGuardia sometimes and they fly along Manhattan. And you look at the city and you go like, holy smokes, this is so beautiful. And, and life is no different. It, it, that's why learning to control where awareness goes in the mind is the most important thing I can share with anyone. Because ultimately, I can choose where my awareness goes in my mind. And if I don't choose to put where my awareness goes, then by my environment is going to choose where my awareness goes. Well, let's unpack it then, because I want to go a couple different directions here. But at the core then, and this is where, for me, the you know the meat of the book really hit as you did a great job setting it up, but then looking at this as the mind is this, as you call it a house, it's a mansion, it's it's this yeah. space mm-hmm. and our awareness. And I kind of latched on to that glowing orb of light Yeah, is where our, our initial consciousness is. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. where, where we're experiencing it. And we can be in that place of that room of happiness, that room of anger. We can be in that room, you know, Brene Brown's recent book, the Atlas of the heart, 87 different emotions. I saw, I was thinking through it, that filter mm-hmm. somewhat. So if I look at mm-hmm. emotionally, the feelings of 87 different rooms to be in, there are some that I, yeah, I'd rather not be in at all. Now hit, hit that because I don't know. Well, I'll just ask you as the guru here, I imagine that there are still times when that objective reality happens. And for a moment, at least your awareness goes to, as you just said, goes to anger. Well, I'll ask, does it, or have you gotten yourself? Oh, to- a- okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've gotten much better. And in the book, I talk about going to India where, you know, <laughs> somehow my awareness gets taken to the anger area of the mind more frequently than I want to. But yes, no, for sure. My awareness can go to a frustrated area of the mind, to a sad area of the mind, to an angry area of the mind. And it's, I, I still have work to do. I have 
better control over my awareness because I've been working with this for, for almost 30 years now, 28 years since my guru taught me about this. So I'm better at it because I have more practice, but that doesn't mean I'm perfect. And I don't think I ever will or anybody ever will be perfect. Do you, well, uh, do you, so when that happens, is it a, because I've looked at that and go, Hey, that's, you know, that's not wrong to have that emotion, but I'm not going to react from that. And what I've done though, is jump out of that immediately. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get out of that immediately. Well, but I'm going to ask you because I've also in Mm -hmm. my own journey of understanding my emotions at all, feeling my emotions. So I'm a, that's my history, Donovan. I don't, I don't have any place for emotions. I was a pro athlete, you know, emotions have no place here. You just suffer, get to the finish line and go for the win. And, and I did that in life. I have done that in life and I've gotten counseled. Okay, Kevin, when that emotion happens, pay attention to it, give it, give it some awareness and Mm -hmm. give it some understanding and don't just escape it right away. Help me balance that out. Well, let's define emotion. And again, this is just in context of the book and working with me. Somebody else might define it differently. I define emotion as energy expressing itself. So there's energy inside of me. Energy is always flowing out of me to people and things. When energy comes out of me, it can express itself one way as emotion. So if my ball of light goes to the angry area of the mind, the emotion that's going to come out is angry emotion. If my ball of light goes to the happy area of the mind, the emotion that's going to come out is happy emotion. At the end of the day, emotion is energy expressing itself, coming out, because where awareness is in that particular area of the mind. So if you want to control emotion, you need to control awareness. Because where awareness goes, energy flows. And that's one of something that I brought in the book all the time. You know, it's a saying by my guru, where awareness goes, energy flows. My awareness goes to angry area of the mind, angry emotion comes out. I don't want to get angry. I control where awareness goes. Now, something makes me angry. My awareness goes to the angry area of the mind because I don't have sufficient control or it's stronger and it's able to pull me there. I realize immediately I'm in the angry area of the mind. I'm starting to feel angry emotions rise. I grab hold of awareness and I move it out of there to a different area of the mind and say, hey, I don't want to go there. I don't want to have that angry emotions. And that way I don't react in an angry way. But what I can do now is at a later time reflect and go, why was that strong enough to take me to that area of the mind? Right. What what is unresolved within me that caused me to react that way and snap that way? Okay, go there then because looking at what's unresolved. So to back to self-awareness, self-realization, mm-hmm. if I have, let's say a trauma, yeah, especially a, a big T trauma mm-hmm. that is unresolved, the knowledge that, so somebody who has that, who's listening to this right now, the knowledge that they're hearing is, is great, but being able to apply it to an unresolved trauma I'm going to guess is pretty fruitless. Yes, because let's look at trauma. Every time I have an experience, I have the emotion attached to the experience. Right. The more intense the trauma, the more intense the emotion. The more intense the emotion is attached to experience, that experience with the emotion embedded in it 
is now sitting in my subconscious mind, vibrating at the frequency of that emotion. Now, if I've had an intense trauma, I have tremendous amount of emotion attached to that experience sitting in my subconscious mind. Emotion is energy and energy is magnetic by nature. Now, because it's so magnetic, it has the ability to pull my ball of light to it all the time. So what I need to do is to go into my subconscious, remove the emotion from the experience. I can't get rid of the experience that's already happened. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it. But I can remove the emotion from the experience through therapy, through a bunch of different means that you could do. Now, when I have no longer emotion associated with the experience, I can look at the experience objectively and, and learn from it. Now, we have experiences in life so that we can learn from them, but we can't learn from something if we're constantly emotionally reacting to it. So the first step is actually removing the emotion from the experience, coming to a light of understanding, viewing the experience objectively and go, okay, that, that was traumatic when I went through it, but what can I learn from this? And then how can I take the learning apply it in my life to create change. It, it, it's almost like a multi-step process. Well, and I appreciate at the beginning of the book, you being very candid with this is going to take a long time. I think we often do a disservice in this industry of not giving gravity to what it really takes to change. And when you're talking about this, and to that degree, and you talk about this in one of the chapters, you call it tipping the scale that yeah. we have spent all of our life like this with this objective reality happen, this event happened. This was our perception. This was our negative feeling about that. And we have been over on that side. As my doctor buddy would say, we've, we've been creating a groove there for many, many, many years yeah. mm -hmm. to come over here and create a new groove, or as you say, to put enough material on the other side of the scale to tip it out takes a lot of work. So somebody who has experienced, who has unresolved issues, which we all do to some degree, yeah. mm -hmm. to tip that over and be able to come into this next challenging experience and have control over our awareness and move it from that negative to the positive. This, this, this is take, this takes some work. This is not information somebody's going to take and use it in an acute moment tomorrow. This I mean, they can try, they, they're going to benefit to any degree, but this is something, this is more like preventative medicine. It takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it really, it is the analogy of the scale, right? <clears throat> the scale is tipping one way because that's the habits I've created. Now, if I'm creating a new habit, I got to keep adding the repetitive experiences or habits to that other side until it builds up big enough to tip the scale. And, and, and that's where practice comes in, constantly bringing awareness back over and over again. You are going to fail tomorrow. I can guarantee that. That's guaranteed. But you can try. And you can try the day after that. And you can try the day after that. And every time you try, you're adding to the other side of the scale. And eventually what you're doing is you're creating a groove, a new pattern in your mind that becomes the default. I don't struggle to concentrate, not because I'm special. It's because I've worked for almost 30 years in creating the groove. That's but why I, I can give someone my undivided attention. I'm not special because I've lived in a monastery or anything. I'm just 
That's what I've done. It's the same way if I go up to someone who's highly distracted and I ask them, how difficult it is for you to practice distraction every day? And the answer I get is like, it's not difficult at all. I can do it very easily. But if you ask me to be distracted, it's really hard for me. Why? Because I haven't practiced it. Okay, let me ask about personality styles. Yeah. We, we have so much content around that. And I, I've given content. We recently had a, did a series on the Enneagram mm -hmm. and looking at our innate propensities. And, you know, we can look at the labels we give ourselves, introvert, extrovert, somebody who's able to focus, somebody who has ADHD, uh, you know, who gets that, who gets that label or that definition. And then we can look at the personality styles. Are we let me start there on the personality styles that we have, or those predispositions that we tend to have, would you say those are our, could be innate, could be genetic, could be trained, probably, you know, nature versus nurture, a combination of all those, but those are our, as we sit today, propensities or that I, I overlap those words a lot, predispositions as to where we give our awareness is that fair to say that if you're, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the, are you familiar with the Enneagram just to use it as an example? Very little. I've heard of it. And, Very but, well, know. any personality style where we, where we look at it and say, this person tends to behave and act in this way. I mean, that's well, kind of take entrepreneurs, for example, right? Okay, I, sure. I work with entrepreneurs all the time. The, the, you know, majority of the people that I work with, one of the things I commonly hear is that as an entrepreneur, I'm all over the place. It's as if being an entrepreneur, I have permission now to have ADD or ADHD and to be all over the place. Because you have to wear so many hats. Yeah, that's the old And I have to do so many things and, you know, things are always going on in the business and everything. So I'm all over the place. And I hear entrepreneurs say that all the time. For me, it's a cop out. I'm an entrepreneur. I run my own business. Why can't you be an entrepreneur and be do one thing at a time? And learn to focus. You choose not to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely believe that some people have some chemical imbalance or whatever you may want to call it physiologically that makes it difficult for them to focus. Something is going on, I'm no doctor, with their body that causes it, that makes it challenging for them to focus. I genuinely believe it. The majority of the people that can't concentrate that have been labeled with ADD, like I talk about in my book, you know, and I, I look at the American Medical Journal and see what are the criteria for ADD, and one of it's the inability to keep attention on one thing. So for me, diagnosing someone with ADD, there's nothing wrong with that. All you're doing is saying that person has the inability to keep attention on one thing for an extended period of time. Fair enough. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Right. So we can drug them or we can teach them how to focus. And after teaching them how to focus and helping them to practice focus for a few years, they still can't focus, then maybe drugs may help. But if I couldn't play the piano and I wanted to learn how to play the piano and you asked me to play the piano, you said, Kevin, you said to me, Dandapani, play the piano. And I, and I can't. Do you label me with PPD and piano playing disorder and drug me right no you teach me how to play the piano 
you help me to practice. How much do I practice? Well, how good do I want to be? You're a pro athlete. You know how much to practice to get to a pro level. If I want to play the piano for my aunt Ethel on the weekend, maybe I practice five minutes a week. If I want to play for Juliet, I might have to practice six, seven hours a day. I don't know, seven days a week, five days a week. Then after about three or four years, I still struggle to concentrate. Then maybe drugs could help. But we as a society are so quick to recommend drugs for someone's inability to keep attention on one thing, yeah. as opposed to actually teaching them how to do it. So I'm not saying no to drugs. I'm just saying, why don't we teach them first and try that method? Well, and to that degree, I mean, we, we are in a, and I thought about this when I first saw your book done upon honestly, that the, 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 you know, this focus on focus that you bring this to us at a time when we are, we're almost applauding distraction. I mean, we are in a distraction training culture. That is what our culture yeah. is. I mean, we, again, back not to just beat on it. I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful for my little devices and my yeah. computer that allows me to work where I want, how I want. I'm, I'm very grateful for that and aware of the danger of it, that this little device has trillions, if not more dollars behind it and the best and the brightest minds to distract me, to keep me from focus. And so yeah. I am someone who's gotten the ADHD label and I don't want to minimize that at all, but I am an entrepreneur as well. And at the end of the day, I got to get results. If I don't, I don't pay my mortgage and things don't happen. Yeah. And so to what you're saying, I feel like, yeah, I can't use it as a cop out. I got to get results. I do, maybe I have to work harder than other people. My wife, for instance, she has no problem focusing. Actually, she focuses so much. It's really hard to get her away from something. She can't transition very well. And yeah. uh, I love to transition. I love to be spontaneous and I enjoy, I enjoy that. I really do where it fits. But when it comes to writing a book, it was, it was not the easiest thing uh, for me. Yeah. But it, it happened. I, I paid extra to get more help. I needed the deadlines. I went away to cabins where I had no just or had less distraction. And mm -hmm. I did do the work, but boy, I had to do a lot of work. And I hear you saying that, that we all have this ability. It's something we all need to do. No different than if we said, some people may just like vegetables more than other people. Granted, mm -hmm. e either way, we kind of all need them. It's just kind of a fact. If we want, depending on what we want, yeah, we want longevity. So again, back to here, if we want purpose, if we want fulfillment, we want these, you're saying you need control of your mind. You need to be able to focus. Mm -hmm. If you have some things going on medically or otherwise, it may be harder for you. You may have to train longer and you do bring that, you know, on that, let me ask a question. Cause you give us the three states of mind, conscious, subconscious, and superconscious. superconscious. Yeah. Super Speak to the superconscious because what I hear you saying is that's where that comes into play when we know what we want, when we have clarity on that and we want it enough. And it's going to take a lot of training to be able to pass through those floors of I know I'm given, yeah. I'm given context here that's in the book, but yeah. through the conscious, through the subconscious and into the superconscious. Yeah. Just one comment first on the distraction. Yes. 
one thing I think people should also realize about distraction is the more you practice distraction, which is basically shifting your awareness from one thing to another so rapidly. So if I'm talking to you, multitasking, right? Multi-switching your awareness. That means you're training yourself to be really good at that. You're creating patterns in your subconscious that tells you this is how the mind works. So now when you sit with someone you love, your spouse, your child, a close friend, what do you think your awareness is doing? It's jumping around. So instead of engaging with the person you love, your daughter, your son, you're physically there, they're talking to you, your awareness is bouncing all around the mind because that's what you've been practicing seven hours a day, eight hours a day, nine hours a day, 10 hours a day. So now you don't get to fully experience the person you love. And is that worth it? For me, that's not worth it. Why go through life not experiencing all the people that you love? You took time to marry your spouse, to live with them, to go through everything that marriage throws at you, to have a child, to have a business, to have clients. Yet when you're with them, you can't be with them because you've trained yourself to do multiple things for awareness to jump all over the place all day long. To me, that's the one argument of like, it's just not worth it. I I don't want to go through life having not experienced the people and things that I love. It feels on the awareness to just what you're talking about there, that we are in a culture, and I don't mean to just be negative about the the culture in essence, but we are, I think anything of value, there's a bit of tension or a lot of tension between the norms out there. And we see the stats. Yeah. We see the health stats. We see the mental health stats and it feels like the attention as you're talking about it, this aware, the awareness, our awareness, Mm -hmm. this, as you talk about in the book, we've got, our mind is this big space. Our awareness is going to go different places. And we're trying to control that awareness that in this distraction culture, we are constantly drawn to a more shallow, two more shallow areas of awareness, flit in here, flit in here. And we don't ever go in that door of what, of, of giving awareness, giving focus to this area that we have a desire and we want relationships. We all do. We long for relationships. We want success in our work. We want to know our purpose and have something to be convicted about and to commit to, but to do that takes our awareness. And for a time, at least saying, I'm going to shut the door to everything else. And that is, that is, that is countercultural. Yes. How many pages in your book? That's a Roughly. great question. Roughly, <laughs> maybe. Th- <laughs> I'll pull it down. 250, yeah. 300, something like that, to okay. 240. So take, hold your book so everyone can see it. Yeah. Now flip through the pages. Just flip it like a duck of cons. Okay. There you go. I haven't read anything. True. Now, if you open the book and you hold it on one page, mm-hmm. I'll be able to read what's on that page and experience your message. Right. Awareness jumping from one thing to another all day long is like skimming through your book. I see a bunch of things I don't ever settle. If I open your book and stay focused on one page, I can read the contents of that page and get value. Mm-hmm. And that's really what focusing is. We live our lives like we're skimming through a book. 
all day long, just skimming through people, things, everything really quickly. You got to make reels that are only 30 seconds, not longer than 30 seconds. You got to capture this, the attention in the first five seconds. Those people are not going to do the work. Those people should never buy my book because hmm. they don't have the endurance, the stamina to do what I ask them to do. Your, your focus right there, you know, on, on energy, where we get, and that's your, your, you define that where we give our energy, that is what grows. I don't know if there's a more convicting piece of the book done upon to me in that. And it brings me to question the first place that I question, and I'll ask about this is how often or how much more as a culture, again, I'm, I'm there too. I, I'm, I'm at risk of this as well. The energy is going towards really just entertainment just the scrolling of Instagram, Facebook, yeah. Netflix, wherever that that's our energy. And so my question to myself, as I, as I thought that, as I was reading your book is what is that growing? And you chime in on that. Cause my first thought is it's, it's mainly just growing an appetite for more, an appetite for more, an appetite for more. And that's a shallow aspect of awareness and focus. That's taking me then away from the deeper ones. But it's also purpose, right? I have a mission. I, I have a purpose, personal purpose of self-realization. I have a sub-purpose of creating the sanctuary here in Costa Rica. We we have 33 acres of land where we're creating a spiritual sanctuary and a botanical garden. I have no time to scroll through Instagram. I do spend 10 minutes scrolling through Instagram, quite often just looking at plants and landscaping because we're creating a botanical garden. That's my passion. But because I have clarity of my purpose and my time is finite, I really don't have time to waste. Yeah. I really don't have time to waste. But purpose drives that. Purpose drives that and the realization that I'm only here on this planet, not for a short period of time, but for a finite period of time. So then I just don't pick up the phone and scroll through Instagram or TikTok or Reels. I, I go on Pinterest, I go on Instagram, but I'm very specifically looking for plants, aeroids, vines, you know, mm -hmm. rock gardens, dry gardens, desert gardens, whatever it is. And I'll scroll through those because I'm trying to figure out something about the gardens I'm creating. But if not, I just don't have time for it. That's why purpose needs to drive everything in life. First step, learn to focus. If I can focus, I can be in a state of self-reflection long enough discover what my purpose is. Once I know my purpose, I build my whole life around my purpose and I use my powers of focus to stay focused on my purpose. Then when I know what I'm saying yes to, it's so much easier to say no to other things. But a lot of times people struggle to say no because they don't know what they're saying yes to. You say yes to scrolling, not you, the you in general, says yes to scrolling on social media because you haven't said yes to a greater purpose in your life. Yeah. And I have said yes to a greater purpose in my life, so it's easier for me to say no to YouTube, social media, to Twitter, to, to people, to things, because I, I know what I want. And when I know what I want, I know what I don't want, who I don't want in my life. But you can't get to that state of knowing if you can't focus. You, you're putting value in your book, I assume. If someone can't focus, how are they going to stay concentrated on a single page in your book long enough to get value from your book? 
Right. They'll three read three lines and then go, Oh, that's interesting, but I don't have seen that before. I wonder where that came from. Oh, very unusual. Oh, what page was that on again? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you lay out here, Don Dapani, is you know, back to the movie. We are so enamored as a culture. We love a good story. We love a character, as as Donald Miller says, a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. So we've got James Bond who wants to do his job. And when that mission happens, nothing's going to stand in, in his way. And we love to watch that. I think there's something that pulls to us. We love mm-hmm. that that sense of purpose, that conviction, that thing that is more important than anything else out there. And yet, we're seldom doing that. And yet what you, I feel like you have turned or given us a different perspective here is that to find that purpose is not to go out there and experience just a million things, expose ourselves to a million things. It's to learn to control our mind. That's a message we haven't gotten. That's why you're sitting here on the show today. It's what grabbed my attention, my awareness. Thank you. And I am, I'm literally working through, uh, I I'm working through. And, and as you talk about in the book, I'm working to not just be exposed to the knowledge and, but to start learning it and stacking my scales on the other mm-hmm. side so that I have this focus. I have this control of my awareness. Yeah. It's just giving me a whole different paradigm and mental picture of, and conviction really. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to say that in a good and bad way. I have some negative feelings uh, so that I feel like I probably need to have of where have I been given my attention? What have I been allowing my energy to go to yeah. that is growing? And I've been yeah. doing that. And I, I don't want, I don't even want to grow that. Why on earth am I giving my attention, my awareness, and, and therefore my energy to that? You know, uh, yes. Kevin, I never water the weeds in my garden. Uh, yeah. Because I don't want them to grow. Right. So energy and Things and people in our life are the same. You don't want those relationships with people and things as well. Don't put your attention to it. Music we listen to, the foods we eat, the books we read, everything. Whatever you put your awareness on, that's where energy is flowing and those things are going to grow. Don Dapani, thank you for the awareness that you gave focus to, to write this book, to bring it uh, to us to bring it to me. Yeah, it is one I am eager to share with the audience and I'm eager to continue digging in and learning and utilizing in my own life. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for the time here today. It's been a gift and an honor. Oh, thank you, Kevin. You're most welcome. I really appreciate being here. Thank you so much. All right, friends, that was part one of my series here with Don Dapani. I'll point out again the reality that Don Dapani said building the strength and ability to focus is not easy. It takes a long time. So I encourage you to get and study his book as I am, the one right over here on my shoulder uh, for those of you watching. It's called The Power of Unwavering Focus. You can listen to this show again, take some notes, but it's going to take some work to help you focus, but my gosh, the payoff is dramatic. Coming up next is my What Drives You episode with Don Dapani, and I end up ditching the entire format for a deep dive with Don Dapani on spirituality. I mean, he's a Hindu priest. I'm a recovering Christian who puts my faith in Jesus Christ, but no longer embraces the religious construct of Christianity. And while Don Dapani does not at all advocate that everybody go become Hindu, he boldly and somewhat irreverently calls us to all be specific 
and committed to a spiritual construct if we're going to get the benefit out of it. A show is quite a ride. Hope to see you there. Friends, thank you for tuning into Self Helpful, where I curate the sea of new personal development materials and help you integrate wisdom into your life because we all want to elevate our own experience and improve the way we show up for others. 